Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Highway Community Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us wherever it is that you're tuning in from. At Highway, we believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to live as sent missionaries in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and among the least of these. And the community plays a vital role in that. If you want to join us as we live into Jesus' greatest commandment, to love God with our whole selves and to love our neighbors as ourselves, you can head over to highway.org and click Engage in the upper right-hand corner to connect with one of our different ministry areas, or click Connect to reach out to one of our pastors with a question or a prayer request. Whether you're here in the Bay Area or not, we'd love to connect with you. This morning, we're continuing our series called Centered, where we've been spending time with Paul's letter to the Colossians and looking at what happens when we center our lives on Jesus, how it shapes who we are and what we do, and wrestling with how on earth to do it. Is this hard, right? There are so many things that are constantly vying for our attention, pulling our focus. So how do we stay centered on Christ and step into the new life that he's given us? Last week, Esther shared about identity in the church, how to stay centered on who God has called us to be as a community in this moment. And this week, I want to dive into that same topic, uh, but at a personal level, and to add a piece that holds both of these weeks together. And that's the impact of the choices that we make. There is an identity that we've been given as followers of Jesus both individually and as the church. But it's an identity that we have to choose to live into every day, all the time. And today we're going to look at a couple of choices that Paul puts before the Colossian church about how to live into this new life, this new identity that God had given them, and then dive into what those choices might look like for us today. As we do, I I want us to hold two things in tension. That there are things that only God can do. And there are things that God will not do for us. There's a space where the work of Christ in us meets our personal responsibility in the choices that we make and how we treat other people and how we live our lives. I love the image of a stringed instrument, you know, like a guitar or a violin to help illustrate this. Those instruments cannot make music unless tension is applied to the strings from both sides. Not enough tension and the pitch will be flat or the string won't even make a sound. And too much tension and the pitch will be sharp and the string can even break. But when that string is held in the right amount of tension from both sides, it can make beautiful music. There are things that only God can do for us. And we hold that intention with there are things that God will not do for us. And as we talk about where those two things intersect today, here's what I want to bring with us. That God meets us in our effort and intent with grace and love. These choices aren't tests to prove ourselves and earn something. They are a path God wants to lead us on so that we can come more fully alive. Live into who he made us to be and what he's called us to do. As we get started this morning, would you pray with me? God, thank you for this time together. God, I pray that you would 
be speaking to us in our time together today. I God, that you would be reminding us of the things that you've done for us that we could never do for ourselves. God, and you would be clearly laying in front of us the choices that we need to make to live more fully into that reality. We love you, and we thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, go ahead and turn or tap your way to Colossians chapter 3. And last week, we ended with a question. What gets your attention? What do you give your attention to? Because those things become loud voices into how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us. And we'll see Paul pick that theme right back up here at the beginning of chapter 3. Read with me Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and listen for that tension today. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, which is something only God can do. Set your hearts on things above, which is something we have to do, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's such a powerful statement. And we'll come back to this one later. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the first choice that Paul sets before us is where we set our hearts and our minds. And this is really important because what we spend time thinking about, you know, what occupies our thoughts, our imaginations, and, and what occupies our hearts, you know, the things we want, the things we care about, these things inevitably shape the choices that we make because we choose what we love. We gravitate towards what we're occupied with in our personal lives and in our corporate church life. It's why that question, what do we give our attention to, is such a good one. And what we see here in the passage is that Paul says that it's our responsibility to set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. That's a choice for us to make. Uh, but what does that mean? Uh, do we like walk around with blinders on to everything around us? Uh, do we ignore reality? Do we live in a different reality? What does it mean? Uh, I, I think it means this. It, it simply means Jesus at the center of everything. It means we orient our hearts and our minds towards the things of heaven. We choose to dwell on God's kingdom. We meditate and we think about a Jesus kind of life in a day-by-day, moment-by-moment sort of way. You know, I think we get confused sometimes and think that setting our hearts and minds on things above is a way towards an easier experience of life or, or that makes life more comfortable. Uh, have you seen folks do that and go, you know, well, this is a dumpster fire, so uh, I'm just not look over there. Uh, I'm going to heaven one day, and so I'm just going to focus on that. Uh, here's the thing. Choosing to set our hearts and our minds on things above is not an escape mechanism. It's not a choice to leave behind or ignore or somehow transcend the very real brokenness that exists in our lives and in our world. It's not pretending that those things aren't real. 
Rather, it's to set our minds and our hearts to a reality where Jesus reigns as king over everything. And to see our lives, every interaction, every decision through that lens. See, in that way, setting our minds and hearts on things above actually leads us to want to see heaven come to earth rather than just see us escape from it. It pulls us into the messiness of redemption, of justice, of peacemaking. It's not ignoring the things of earth, but engaging them with a different center, with a mind and a heart that are fixed to the reality that Jesus is king over everything. Even the brokenness and the sorrow and the frustration and the disappointment that we might be trying to escape from. Paul writes that since then you have been raised with Christ, something God did that we could not do for ourselves. Set your hearts on things above our choice, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's something that's easier said than done. It's important that we hold these choices that we're talking today as part of a lifelong process. These aren't one-time decisions but choices that we will make every day. We choose where to set our minds and our hearts every day, all the time. And God meets us in our effort and intent with grace and with love. I want to offer two words this morning that can help us lean into how God meets us in this choice. In other words, recognize and return. To ask God for the grace to recognize when our hearts and minds are fixed on something else. To start to recognize what that feels like. To recognize the attitudes and the actions that produces in us. And then to ask God for the grace to return back as soon as we recognize it. You know, where we set our hearts and our minds is a choice we're presented with all the time. And the truth is they get pulled in different directions all the time. (laughs) That's life, right? But by God's grace, we can, if we choose, become more aware, you know, recognize more quickly when that happens. And by that same grace, we can choose to return. The first choice Paul sets before us to live into the identity that God's given us is where we set our hearts and minds. And we'll see the impact of that choice in this next section of verses. Let's take a look at Colossians 3, continuing on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all. It is in all. There's about 85 messages to be given on what's condensed here into these seven verses. And I can't even come close to touching it all today. But one thing I do want us to see here is the impact of where we set our hearts and minds. That what we place at their center shapes the choices that we make. And there's two lists here in this passage. One on sexuality and one on anger. And Paul uses these lists to help the Colossians connect the dots between what occupies their hearts and minds and the choices that they make. With sexuality, he starts from the action and works backwards. Underneath sexual immorality is an impure heart and mind. That comes from lust that was fueled by evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. When our sexuality is fueled by greed, something that is such a beautiful gift from God can also become a weapon. It's something we use to manipulate each other. A tool for our own self-gratification, a way to exploit, objectify, even dehumanize each other. So what's at the center matters because it shapes the choices that we make. And so we set our hearts and minds on things above, where Jesus is at the center. And it's the same with anger, which can be a powerful catalyst for good. Paul writes here about God's anger at the destructive way people were engaging their sexuality. And God's anger can be a complicated thing for us to hold, and I really appreciated N.T. Wright's commentary on this passage, that God's anger isn't arbitrary or capricious, but a necessary reaction of true holiness, justice, and goodness to wickedness, exploitation, and evil. Those things should make God mad. And so anger in and of itself is not bad. It's not wrong. We don't need to pretend we're not angry when we actually are, as if it makes us, air quotes, better people. We do have to pay really close attention to what we choose to do with our anger, though. Just like Yoda tells young Anakin in Phantom Menace, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Paul's list here in verse 8 shows a progression from experiencing an emotion to making conscious choices to hurt someone else. And so pay attention to it, we must. Listen to verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. When we let anger sit, it can get flamed into rage. And that rage can create malice. You know, where we start scheming up all sorts of ways to act on that anger, which can then become real through slander and filthy language because we sure can take people apart with our words, can't we? What's at the center matters. And the first choice Paul sets before us is where we set our hearts and minds. 
And in this section, he's helping the Colossians and hopefully us too connect the dots between cause and effect there and to see the impact that choice can have. And Paul also frames our second choice in these verses. And he writes that there was an old way of living, an old way of seeing and being in the world that was destructive and made us less than who we were created to be. And while through faith we've been brought to fullness in Christ, those old habits die hard. And so the second choice Paul sets in front of us is to take off the old self. And these verses capture the tension of transition. He, he writes that the Colossians have already taken off their old self, uh, but there are parts of it that are still hanging around. Because that's how it goes, isn't it? The old self does not go quietly. It doesn't magically disappear. And so just like the choice of where we set our hearts and minds, taking off the old self is a choice we'll make every day. If you're like me, it'll be a choice you'll have to make 45 times before you even hit lunch. And it can be so tempting to look at passages like this, you know, that have lists of behaviors and just try harder to change our behavior and to start from the surface. But listen to what Paul writes here. Paul starts this section with the words, put to death. Those are strong words. And what this phrase means is to cut off the supply lines that feed these destructive patterns of behaviors. In other words, go to the source or the root cause of what's going on. Like how Paul traces destructive sexuality back to greed and idolatry and slander and filthy language all the way back to anger. A couple weeks ago, our formation group went through the parable of the sower in Mark 4. You know, the story Jesus told about different kinds of soil and how receptive they are to the seeds that the farmer is sowing. In prepping for that time together, I was reminded of this really cool fact about ancient Near Eastern farming practices. And I know what you're thinking. All the facts about ancient Near Eastern farming practices are cool. But this one is special because Jesus referenced it with the seeds that took root but were choked out by the thorns. These farmers were cultivating fields in a really dry climate, you know, where to survive, the native plants had to have these really deep, elaborate root systems that went down even into rocks sometimes so that plant could get water. And as you can imagine, it was probably a nightmare to remove these plants as they were cultivating their fields. And so the practice became essentially to just chop them off at the surface instead. But because the root systems were left intact, those plants would inevitably grow back, sometimes choking out the crop that had been planted. And can you see where this is going? Trying to take off our old self by changing our behavior without addressing the root cause. It's like mowing the weeds and expecting them not to come back. And so Paul tells us to put these destructive patterns to death, to cut off their supply line, to dig up the roots instead of just mowing the weeds. And look, this is where God wants to meet us. 
This is where the work of Christ in us intersects our personal responsibility and the choices that we make. Taking off the old self is a choice that we'll get presented with every day. And those choices can be really hard. And a lot of them we won't want to make because we don't want to get down to the roots. Because it takes a lot of courage to face our idols, our disordered affections, our unhealthy attachments to things or people or being perceived a certain way. But this is where God wants to meet us. Like this is the place real healing and transformation happens. And here's where to start. Yeah, instead of just working to manage the surface, name the struggle, what we're really experiencing, and ask God to meet us in it. This is true for all the examples Paul lists in this passage. But I want to walk us through what it might look like to get down to the roots when we're angry. Because it's going to happen. When we've been wronged, it hurts. And when it hurts, we get angry. Anger is a powerful emotion. It can mask the other things we feel in the moment. It makes us feel strong. And sometimes we use that to cope with the hurt that we've experienced. Because we'd rather hold on to the anger and feel strong than to let it go and feel the hurt and the vulnerability that comes with it. And add to that that maybe what happened was bad enough that we feel like releasing our anger lets the other person off the hook too easy or too soon. Or that releasing our anger minimizes what we've gone through in some way. And like it wasn't significant. These are all real things we experience. What sits underneath why we hold on to our anger sometimes. And are you ready for the spicy application point? Here it comes. Colossians 3 verse 3. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died. The old you whose value was determined by what other people thought of you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There is a new you. And holding on to the old ways of holding on to anger will keep us from stepping into the new life God has given us because holding on to anger leads to rage, which leads to malice, which leads to returning hurt with more hurt. And so as hard as it can be, we take off the old self. And God meets us in that choice with grace and love and with a promise to give us what we need, even if it's not what we want. And so taking off the old self isn't doing that gross thing where we pretend we're not angry when we actually are. And it's also not living under the pressure of perfection either. It's naming what's real before God and asking him to meet us in it saying, this is the truth of where I'm at. But I want to take off my old self. And so will you meet me in this? 
and lead me in what you want, even if that's different than what I want right now. Look, y'all, that's where healing happens. That's where transformation happens. And the same is true in where we're working through how we engage our sexuality or how we see and treat other people or any of the other areas in our lives where we run into our old selves. Because taking off the old self is really about surrendering those things to Jesus time and time again. These are choices that we'll make every day. Where we set our hearts and our minds and to get to the roots and take off the old self. And these are choices that we make to step into the new life that God has given us, where our responsibility meets the work of Christ in us. And there's a third choice that Paul frames in this section, the choice to put on the new self. We have to choose to put on the new self. Otherwise, we just have no self after taking off the old self and the whole metaphor would start to fall apart. And we'll talk more about that next week and about how putting on our new self transforms our relationships, helps us live into what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, But I wanted to finish with the new self today. The new us the restored, redeemed, forgiven, loved, chosen us. It's tilling back through the old self, you know, who we were, the choices that we've made, and maybe even the patterns that we're still stuck in can be hard. That we can feel the weight of our guilt or the weight of shame. But in Christ, you are a new creation. When you came to faith in Jesus, the old you died. And the parts of you that were exposed to shame, to guilt, to condemnation are now hidden with Christ in God. It is not who you are anymore. It's not how God sees you. And so we can confront the old self without guilt and ask God to meet us in those places without shame. We can recognize when we've set our hearts and minds where we shouldn't without fear and set them back on things above without condemnation. Because God sees the new you and not the old you. Who do you see? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love that covers everything covers your creation, covers us. God, I pray that that love would give us the context for courage. That your love for us would create in us a love for you that overflows in in a life that wants to take seriously what it means to step into who you have created us to be and to love those around us with the same kind of love that you do. God, we thank you for who you are and for who you're making us to be. God, would you help us live into that and know that you meet us in those spaces with grace and love. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Amen.